You're now tuned in to Verbal Radio. In the studio, we have the head of the Libertarian Party, Mr. James Just. Hello, James. Well, it's the head of the Libertarian Party here in Sacramento County. Don't put, don't put, no, I'm just a little guy in the big thing. So you're not the national head. Not the national head, nor the chair head, despite what some people in this, in Sacramento County wanted. No, I'm not the chair for the for the state either. I'm just here doing my little gig here in Sacramento County. So what is the Libertarian Party? Libertarian Party, it's a party focused on essentially individual liberty. I call it fundamental human rights. We start with fundamental human rights and we build from that. And, you know, we believe in smaller government. Some of us believe in no government, but, you know, as a rule of thumb, a limited government has small defined roles and it stays there. Essentially, it stays out of your personal life, whether it's your personal financial life or your personal, your personal life. You know the the type of lifestyle you want to live. That's your choice. You know, free adults can have free choices, and that's kind of what we believe in. Our philosophy is based upon that. It's more of a philosophy than a than a political movement, which is kind of why we struggle. But is that what the um with the early, you know, following the Revolutionary War, when the colonies, you know, really came together, um, government was very small and limited back then. On a national, like national government was yeah. very small and limited back then. Um, mostly for things like defense, post taxes, etc. So would they have been, would, would their um, lifestyle, like that form of government, would that have been libertarian? Well... In concept, yes, but not in the way they practiced it. <laughs> because they had, in order to have to be part of the libertarian philosophy, you have to actually live it in your own personal life too. So you can't own slaves and be libertarian at the same time. It's not how it works. Um, but in in theory, yes, where the government has clearly defined limited roles, that is kind of a libertarian perspective on government but the libertarian philosophy extends to your personal life and and your community and how you view the world and so it's not just politics when you talk about the libertarian philosophy and so what would what would what would that look like like a libertarian home lifestyle well i can kind of use as a philosophy it, it has every person's going to have a different perspective on it so for me it's where you have your your family, however you define family, right? Family doesn't have to be blood, but how your family is structured so everybody's individual can grow and become the unique human beings they are that they want to be, however long that takes. You know, it took me 50 years to figure the world out, right? But my, <laughs> my mother, despite not being a libertarian, has a very libertarian view on raising children. And I'm, I'm essentially a flower child. I'm the child of a flower child. You know, my mother was a hippie. You know, the Volkswagen bug in the whole nine yards. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm kind of a product of that. You know, I, I, I am the, ninth, the you know, quintessential, you know, liberal person. But I extend that, that liberal person from not just my personal life, which was my mother has it. I extended that thought process out to, to government and, and how it interacts with each other. It seems, I mean, as a, you know, as you know, I'm from D.C., mm -hmm. um, the heart, the beating heart of the American government, you know, resides there. Um, when I think of smaller government, it, it, it's not the way that 
it's politically presented, you know, because like the the Republicans and Democrats will say, oh, big government this, you know, little government that. And when I think small government, I think of like government that serves the functions such as like maintaining the roads, maintaining defense, maintaining, you know, a form of taxes, things like that. Mm -hmm. But then almost like the government is the operating system that keeps the machine going, that if it's working properly, you hardly even notice it's there. Right. Whereas, and then, you know, each different person or individual would be like the software programs, and then you can use them as you see fit. Um, I mean, at this point, you know, I was a child coming out of the 80s, grew up in the 90s, you know, early 2000s. I remember, you know, the millennium was this huge thing. You know, the world was going to change, and then the the Aztec calendar ran out, and, and the world was full. The aliens were coming, and and yeah. now, now at almost 40 in 2023, man, adulting sucks. Uh, <laughs> like, my generation can't afford anything. Like, we can't afford to buy houses. We don't make enough money to live off of. Like, the government, I mean, I, because I, I file my taxes as a single, 27 cents of every dollar goes to the government. And, you know, there's, there's like, I could, I mean, you take a situation like Vietnam, right? Mm-hmm. Now, here you have people who are being sent to war because of decisions that were made by others that didn't actually involve them. James has got a call. We'll take a quick break. No, right we're here. good. We're good. It's, we just put it on. It's the national head of the Libertarian Party. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she's mad at me now. <laughs> the head of these people don't like me at the moment, but, you know, that's, you know. How do, they, how do they view you within the organization? Well, that's hard to say. It's I... As you know, I approach the world with my own unique perspective, right? I have this very open and I'm willing to talk about anything. And I approach everything from a prospect of love and compassion. I, when I ran for office a couple, a uh, few years ago in 2020, it, it was libertarian is love. That's what my campaign thing was. And so <laughs> the, the current state of leadership in the Libertarian Party is much more, we'll call it aggressive, right? It matches the politics of the day. But the problem is if we try to match the politics of the day, we're, we're going to lose, right? We can't win. There's just no way we can win if we play that game. We have to play oppositional politics. And, and you know, the current state of the party is more of the current state of the nation. They're kind of on the AOC Trump school of politics where it's always bickering, always fighting. And I say, we have to work, not fight. And, you know... But the party is full of activists. I'm not really an activist. I'm more of a volunteer who's kind of morphed into a politician. <laughs> and so we view the world from a different perspective. And what we as an organization need to understand is we need both of us. I need the activists to remind me where the North Star is, you know, where the theoretical goal is, even though we're never going to actually get there. But I need to know where that is. So, I, so as I'm navigating the political waters, I can stay on course, right? They need to understand that we're not going to get there anytime soon and that they need people like me to help us navigate the water so we can start to get closer or at least start going in the right direction or somewhat the right direction. And right now we're not listening to each other. And so we're, we're struggling. But, you know, these things happen. You know, it's kind of a reflection of society at the moment, right? We're no different than society is at the moment. We're all going through our own struggles and trying to figure out how to move forward after the last decade. And it's, you know, we're struggling, but 
you know, we're, we're humans. We're just a collection of human beings, and we're just like everybody else, trying to make the best sense of the world as we can. And so how am I viewed? Eh, I was the loneliest person at the California convention the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here in a convention with 150 of what should be my closest friends and compatriots, and I was very, very lonely. But, you know, I was quasi-running for, for state chair. And I had the two opposing groups who weren't, weren't very happy that I was, you know, they each wanted me to do the, a thing for their own, their own reasons. And I was doing my thing for my own reason. And so they weren't very happy with me. But, yeah, they'll get over it. <laughs> yeah. Politics, in politics, you know, everybody kind of knows that you have to do what you have to do for your reasons. And so, you know, emotions can get heated, but they eventually melt away. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Was it not Franklin Roosevelt who said, there's nothing stronger than the heart of a volunteer? It, you know, it's, um, one, let me say this first and foremost. I'm, I'm actually moved by what you just said. Um, and I love the way you view things. I have discovered that some of the best lessons I've learned in my life actually came from movies I watched as a kid, like uh, in Aladdin, the first animated one, the original with Robin Williams. Uh, the genie says to Aladdin, he says, the problem with doing the right thing is sometimes you have to do it by yourself. And the thing is that I have watched the world become this this thing like you're describing, like this political thing where it's like you're on this side or you're on that side, and your whole existence is to cast, is to launch as many missiles as you can at the other side. Why is that my fight? Like, I'm just a human being trying to exist. I mean, it's difficult enough for me to keep it all together when I wake up in the morning. I put my feet on the ground, my ankles start hurting, you know? And I'm like, I'm just a living being on a journey, trying to trying to understand what and who I am, the world around me, mm-hmm. this this reality and existence. And now it's like, you get all these voices telling you that you this needs to be important to you, and that needs to be important to you, and why aren't you? And the thing is that, like, why do I have to Go to either side. Because, because, and this is what I try to tell people, is like, if every government in the world collapsed today, if all of the politics collapsed, all of that, like, I would still be a human being. I would still need to eat. I would mm-hmm. still have my curiosity. I would still dream at night. Right? So obviously, yeah. there are things more important than the stuff that's on TV. And what I care about, personally is in in some way breaking people out of that that illusion that that's all there is because like you can be what you want to be if you want to be an artist or you want to be a writer or you want to be a a scientist like all you have to do is do it right the the knowledge like we got the internet now like the sum of all human knowledge available at your fingertips and Making sure that people have the freedom to do that is what's very important to me. And I feel that, like, there are these chains that are being wrapped around people. And one of those chains is the chain of economics, capitalism. Because that chain puts you in a position where, like, take take D.C. Here I am, 19 years old with a full-time salary job and two part-time jobs because my rent is $1,200 a month and I have to work three jobs to pay for my rent. So I don't have time to draw 
or to practice any of my arts, things that I actually love, the things that would help me develop into the person I want to be. I can't do that because I have to spend my whole life, my all of my time, making sure my survival needs are met. And that's being exploited by these big corporations who say, oh, well, let's raise the price of gas, right? Because there's a gas shortage. There's a gas shortage. So they say there's a gas shortage. We're going to raise the price of gas. So tomorrow at the pump in, uh, on the corner, gas is now $5 a gallon. But mm-hmm. if there's a shortage, how does that affect the fuel that's in the ground already at the, at the gas station? That, that's already there. But then they turn a record profit at the end of the year. Like uh, Aramco, the Saudi Arabian and joint United States joint oil company, turned a no, $1.61 trillion profit this year in fuel. But we paid for it at the pump. And so now because I got to pay more for gas, I got to work overtime at my nine to five so I can get that extra money. So I don't have time to go and do those other things. And now I'm getting miserable and gray and having health problems and hating myself because I'm living this life that is never what I wanted it to be anyway. Yeah. But there's the thing. The reason why your gas prices go up when there's a gas shortage is so there's still gas in the pump later. So you actually, the reason you raise gas prices is so people like you and me buy less gas. So that's the exact reason. So there's actually gas in the pump when you need it next week. That's why you raise the price of gas. Now, why the actual there's a gas shortage is a whole different question, right? That's a whole discussion of political politics, right? In this last case is, you know, the Russian gas was taken off the market. And so, you know, supply chains had to reconfigure. And that takes time and costs a lot of money. And so while they have, you're true, they'll show a record profit this year. But what they're not going to show is next year, they're gonna, a lot of that profit's going to be not gone. It's going to be spent on the cost of reconfiguring that supply chain. And so and taking a snapshot doesn't really help us very much in terms of understanding how these economic works. But you are right, right? There is a problem with the way our current system is set up. It's, I don't like to call it capitalism because a lot of us, we don't know what it is because it's so manipulated now. The markets are so manipulated that people like me who like free markets, there's nothing free about the markets. At all. At all. There's nothing. You, I mean, you have so many regulations on just to sell a, a piece of lettuce. <laughs> you know, I can't. That like, but here's what I want to go back to something. I was thinking about something as you were talking. I just want, before I forget it, is as someone who doesn't believe in big government, I do have a reason that government exists, and it's kind of you were talking. I can't legitimize a reason for government because we can't think of all that stuff. You we were talking about how all these things exist in the world. Everybody wants you to care about this and that and that, but you can't have a hundred number one priorities. It's not possible, right? It's literally not possible. So we offload a lot of that thinking to these things called government, to the political process. We offload it so we don't have to think about it all the time because we literally don't have time, right? There's not enough time in our day. There's not enough time in our lives to consider all the hundreds and thousands of various issues that need to be thought of. We can't track what all the boards and commissions are doing. We can't tell what the city council is doing. We can't even read all the laws, (laughs) right? There's no way. So we have to offload some of that. And we offload some of that into what we call government. And that is kind of a valid reason for government's existence. The question is, what roles do we tell it to play? It's gone from, okay, let's offload the stuff that we don't want to think about so we can focus on becoming our best selves. So I, I don't want to think about potholes. I don't want to have to think about fixing potholes. Let's offload that to somebody else. And so I can think about creating my art, 
taking pictures, you know, engaging with the community, you know, watching the water board, <laughs> you know, so I can focus. I don't want to think about potholes because I'm interested in the water board meetings. I can't go to both. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so we offload that to somebody and we kind of count on the great diversity of humanity that someone's going to be interested to watch. And, but the thing is now government has become so big and so involved in so many things that it's literally impossible for us to watch. It's just not possible. There's not enough of us. There's not enough, enough time. And so, so, so keeping the role that we ask these the government to play, it's our fault. We've asked them to do far too much. We have continually asked, yes, let's pass it on. Yes, let's pass it on. It's our fault. I, it's very easy to blame government. It's very easy to blame politicians. But guess who they're responding to? The, the world of the people. They're responding to us. And because we've gotten lazy, we've decided, I don't want to, you know, we've offloaded too much. And So, so if we were to, because obviously it would not, I mean, it wouldn't work out if you just suddenly returned all of those responsibilities back to the public. You can't, it's not a switch. Collapse. Yeah. So it would be a gradual process mm-hmm. one at a time. Um, which would take a very long time. 50, but, 100, 150 years. Yeah, it would take a long time. Long but time. What would be, what, what do you think would be, like, say, the first two or three practical ones that could be offloaded back to the people? Start working on occupational licensing. That's where I would start. Remove, it used to be like 8% of jobs required some kind of license. It's now like 40%. Just start that. You don't need a license to cut hair. You don't need a license to be a barber. You know, those kind of things. Just remove those kind of barriers. Remove some of the barriers for people to start businesses. You've got this wonderful new studio. How many permits and fees and things did you have to go through? <laughs> How long did it take? Hmm. Right? If you go in, there's places in the world where you can literally start a business in a half an hour. You fill out some paperwork, you, you give them your 50 bucks, and you're a business owner. Right? As long as you don't need, if, you know, if you're just doing something like this where you're just working in an office, there's no need. If you're selling T-shirts, there's no need to have a bunch of... How do you ensure fair play? Over time, the market ensures fair play. If you have a free market, it ensures fair play. But you never ensures fair play. All the regu- rules and regulations we have now have actually created unfair play. So oh, I could, I could definitely, <laughs> I definitely will agree with that statement <laughs> because people like you and me, we have a much harder time than someone who knows how to navigate the system. I think is you're absolutely right, and and so it, it's such a complex issue. Is it because it's not, it's not, it's not black and white. Like the only thing that I I would say that I that I think would be an immediate concern would be, um, well, so let's say you've got a licensed barber. Mm-hmm. And then, like, they do something and they get their license revoked, mm-hmm. right? Then I feel like as a, as, a, as, a, as a member of the public, right, like having that license implies that you have a certain level of education to safe practices for what you're licensed to do. Now, we both know that's bullshit mm-hmm. because – there are licenses all you have to do is pay for. No exam, nothing. You just pay for it. Like a fishing license doesn't require any type of examination. You just pay the money and you get the license. Well, I don't know how it is in California. Back home, mm-hmm. fishing license, you just pay the money, you get the license. Like a tour guide license. I used to run a tourism business, and it was the biggest crock of shit I ever saw <laughs> because you got to pay $250 every two years for this tour guide license, and 
if you are ever stopped while you're leading a tour and they ask you to present your license and you don't have it, you can you get a huge fine, right? In the years that I did tour guide work and all of the tour guides I ever talked to, no one has ever, ever, ever seen any enforcement of any kind of the licensing, but we still got to pay for it. So it's a bullshit license. Like, what does it actually do? It it's a revenue a, stream for the government. And it also creates a barrier to entry. It makes it harder for peop, new people to come in and start a tour guide business. And it, so it protects the, the current industry. And so it, it's a protection racket as well as a as a uh, as an income stream. You know, I mean, you're 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 100% right. Like I don't there's no logical way I can say that that's not the case. Because it because I'll tell you I'll tell you like you said with starting a business for example. How many people don't start businesses because they can't afford the $800 business license or they can't afford to get the insurance policy that costs X amount of money when it's just one guy in his fucking garage making Make, he's been a carpenter his whole life. He's making stools to sell on Amazon, but now he's got to get all of his license. He's got to get a hundred thousand dollars in in licensing in case he cuts his finger off. Yeah. Oh, when we talk about licensing, it extends. Now we're talking about occupational licensing, but that kind of the cost that licensing creates in Sacramento County, well, city of Sacramento, it's a hundred thousand dollars for a housing permit. So your brand new house, if you buy a brand new house in Sacramento, it's a hundred thousand dollars more expensive than it has to be, just right off the top, just from the basic permit. And so, but think about how that plays out in, in you know, all the other businesses. How much does it cost to open a business? Well, guess who's paying that cost? It's not the business owner that pays that cost. It's the customers who pay that cost over time. And so, when we talk about why life is expensive, how come, you know, our, it's so expensive and hard to, to live? Well, look at the uncountable number of regulations we have to, we have to deal with. Someone has to be paid to to go through those regulations and see how it impacts your particular type of business. You have to kind of hope that they're right. <laughs> and and you buy, have to buy insurance to cover you just in case you're not. And all those costs have to be paid. And the end consumer pays all costs. And who's the end consumer? Me. It's it's The, the end it's consumer the, is the person who has no one to pass that cost exactly. on to. Exactly. It's the person who has to work for that money that doesn't have... Exactly. It's, nobody to pass that cost on to. It's, it's the wage employee. It's actually... It's, it's worse. You and... You can start, you have your own business. In theory, you will eventually be able to pass these costs on. It's your employees that can't. Right. Right. The, those people can't pass it on. And so it's the, it's the store clerks. It's, it's the janitors. It's all those people who cannot pass the cost on that pay the, the ultimate price of every cost. And we don't think about that. We think that the business is going to pay the cost. We think, oh, the rich guy is going to pay the cost. The rich guy is not going to pay the cost. He's going to pass it on. That's why they're rich. <laughs> this, and so when we talk about when we think about that we have to think about all these policies in California we've had 20 years of, of low growth policy right trying to somehow prevent the thinking that if we don't build it they won't come they came anyway and now we're so expensive that we've got half the homeless population in the country lives in California and we've done that to ourselves how do we how do we find ourselves how do we keep finding ourselves in a situation this is because I see this as like a very American problem nationwide and California specifically, right? Is this vast wealth inequality to the point where California is well on its way to being the fourth strongest economy in the world, in the world, and has half the, pop, half the homeless population of the country. Mm -hmm. The United States historically has been one of the wealthiest countries in the world and has always had a large homeless population. Like... And now, since the pandemic, every city in America has the tent cities. Mm -hmm. Well, it's because of how we calculate wealth. 
wealth is is not cash. Wealth is the theoretical resale value of all your stuff. And so if you have a lot of property in California that is now hyperinflated because of regulations and all this kind of stuff, your wealth has increased. If you have if you've owned stock in a pharmaceutical company or in Tesla or one of these things, your wealth has increased. Now you can't actually use it because you have to sell that stock to use it. But, you know, like Elon Musk, he's had to sell Tesla stock to buy Twitter, right? That's how that went because he didn't have cash sitting around. Mm-hmm. He, had to sell, he had to sell Tesla stock to buy Twitter. So it was an exchange. We think of wealth as cash, and it's not. Most wealth can't be used. It's stuck. It's in property. It's, it's in the value of a warehouse, which is not even the value of the warehouse itself or the value of the goods in the warehouse. It's in the value of the goods that come in and out of that warehouse. That's what that value is. And what happens if? Something changes, if some economics changes, and that warehouse no longer provides value, that wealth is gone. I mean, you can look at the stock market, and you can see wealth will disappear in a second. So do you think that's the push that that a lot of people are having? Is that, is that what's motivating people to demand their employees come back to work in the office building? No, I think people are, are demanding their employees come back to work because it creates – you can control the culture that way. And, and culture is falling down. Culture is breaking our our businesses are uh, struggling because you it's you can't build a community when you're apart and in order for businesses to to function you have to have a community and you can do some jobs remotely right if you're a customer service and you work in customer service you're just answering phones you can do 90 90 95% of your job remotely but how do you improve how do you work with your your colleagues to become a better customer service agent how do you become how do you know what you're going to need to work on so you can move up and become the manager of the customer service, right? You can't do that because you can't share your interpersonal skills where that managerial stuff where you learn how to become a manager works. Now, the managerial class is going to thin out because of AI and, and these kind of things, but that makes it actually even more important for you to develop those people skills it, or else why there's just going to be a worker. And, you know, most people don't want to be workers, right? They want to be business owners. They don't mind working. It's not, but they don't want to be just a worker. They want to have a reason for doing it. It's much easier to get up in the morning when you have meaning in your life, right? You know this. If you're getting up just to create a paycheck, it's hard to get up in the morning, right? But if you're going up to accomplish something, to have more meaning in your life, like I get to get up every morning to help people spread their voice. I get to help get up every morning to help build a, rebuild a community. Uh, I'm motivated every day. I don't have to. I don't have to motivate myself. I don't have to look myself in the mirror. I get up, I go off, and I get ready to work, right? Because I have meaning in my life. That's what most people want. Now, some people like to just kind of go to work. They do their thing. They come home, and their meaning comes from somewhere else, and that's fine, right? But I think for most of us, to get up and go to work, we need some kind of meaning for it to stick. Otherwise, you're just miserable, and and I think that might be what we're reflecting is there's just so much misery because so many people have been chasing paychecks for so long and not chasing meaning. And now they're going, my life is empty. What do I do? And they're looking for, they're looking for something. You can look at it in all these, you know, whatever social issue you want, you know, whatever culture war issue you want. What you have is a bunch of people who are looking for meaning in their life. And they're, they're not going to find it in that kind of superficial uh, endeavor. But they're looking for it. And you can't fault them for that. You can't fault people for looking for meaning in their life, you know? 
Yeah, they're young. They'll find it. <laughs> I mean, what? God, look at my 20s and 30s, right? God. You go, you look back at all the kind of uh, false starts you did, but you don't, but you can't become the person you want to be until you go, through, you have to go through that step, right? Mm-hmm. You, you can't, you can't skip that stage of development. You have to start out on the wrong path to find your destiny. Yeah, you don't know what you, and even if it's not, maybe not the wrong path. Maybe the wrong path is the wrong, you know. Well, right, because right, because it might, might not be wrong. It might not. Like, be. It, for me now, personally, like I used to run restaurants and bodyguard work and wrestling, and I used to do that. So I remember I used to ride the subway into to work every morning. And the, uh, it would come out of the tunnel because most of D.C. subways are below ground. So it would come out of the tunnel. There's one stretch on Benning Road where you're above ground. And there's this big golf course right there, right? And it's like 8 in the morning. You know, I'm still trying to get the sleep out my eyes on my way to a job that I hate. And it's like a Monday. And there's people down there playing golf. And I used to always say to myself, like, what kind of lifestyle do they have that they can be playing golf on a Monday where I have to be going in and do this bullshit? And what uh, now, I mean, I don't play golf, but I mean, I play mini golf, but like now it's, um, I realize that it's about what you said. It's about having a purpose. Like for me, I never, I was good at a lot of things. Like I was great running a restaurant. I'm good at balancing a budget and I'm, good at customer service, but I never cared about that stuff. It was never important to me. I wasn't changing the world one pizza at a time. You know what I mean? But I was searching for that meaning. And you were building skills. And those skills, so all of those things that I thought weren't, um, were just me wasting my life. And that's what people would say, you're wasting your life doing this. But I wasn't. Because everything I do now is built on all of those different skills I learned from all of those different things that I did. And it's given me a, a, a transferable skill set mm-hmm. that allows me, like the customer service I got from restaurants, allows me to be a people person, right? And running those point of sale machines allows me to be able to work a freaking <laughs> mixer, you know? Yeah, it's, it's true. I was talking to my son last night. He was He's in a stage of transition in his life, we'll call it. And so we were talking last night. I says, you know, I now have a vastly different life than I ever would have imagined. I mean, five years ago, I couldn't have pictured this is where I was going to be. I says, but I use skills that I learned in my 20s every day. Like I was a, I worked on an assembly line and ran an assembly line. And so one of the things I do every day is I know the QA processes. I know how to build processes because of it. And I use that every day. And, you know, it, it's you can use these skills that you develop. You don't know how you're going to use them. You don't and know, you how don't you know can, when they're going to become relevant either. You, you don't. You don't. But yet they stick around. They mm-hmm. stick around. It's like riding a bike. And you know how to go back and you can go back. Okay, I know how to do that because I did it for five years. I ran an assembly line for five years. I know how to create QA processes. I know how to create processes for production. And it doesn't matter if it's a, a podcast or a radio show or a TV show. It, the fundamentals are the same. And so you can you can move that forward. You can just find a way and move forward. But so many young people, you, these today, is they're in such a hurry to succeed. Like I, I've I've been here for three months. I'm thinking of quitting because I haven't I haven't um, I'm not feeling like I'm making an impact. You've been here three months. You don't even know what you're doing yet. <laughs> See, so so I, I have that issue because um, I've been that person. It was it was one of the reasons that like. By high, by the time I got like from 
first grade to like seventh grade, I was like a certified prodigy. Um, like I was one of the few students that would ace the standardized exams, right? Then by like seventh grade, I'd outgrown school completely, right? I'm like, man, I don't um like the work was 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 too menial for me. It's like I don't I already know this shit. Why are you giving me why are you I like because my parents taught me at home, right? Mm-hmm. So like we're going in and I'm doing fractions with these kids and like man, I'm I, we were doing this four years ago, right? And then so I'm like, oh, I don't uh I lost interest in it and I would I would go to work and then, you know, I'm a very fast learner. Like I'm a, I'm a fast learner, man. You you know, you so I would go to work and like after a week I'm like I need a promotion. Yeah. And they're like, "Dude, you just got here. What are you talking?" About? I'm like, "Yeah, but I can do it better than they're doing it." Like, let me tell you. And you know, um and finally somebody took the chance and gave me the job. So at 19 I became the GM and I killed it. And I kept doing it, but then like right now. So I I, I there's this radio station that um, we're in the process of figuring out a new show for me with them. And so they're like, uh, well, so they had me come in on Sunday to do four hours, four hours mm-hmm. with watching somebody else on the air to watch their soundboard and all of that. So I told them, like, you know, like, if you've worked on one soundboard, like, because, you know, the one acts, like, if you worked on one, you, you, they all work the same. Pretty much, yeah. It's just a matter of learning which buttons do what. Yeah. And if they're labeled, the, then... The, it's easy as it, pie. It's, it's, right. It's a cakewalk, right? So they're like, yeah, well, we still want you to do this four-hour training. So I'm like, okay. And then the other thing I'm telling them is like, you know, because they're like, we want you to come in maybe four or five times over the next month. And I'm like trying to explain in a very polite way. Like I don't kind of have that availability in my schedule where I can just spend four hours five times a month doing this. It's going to take away from other stuff I got to do. So then I'm like, well, you know, I, I'm ready to go in the air now. Like, let's just do the show. And they're like, well, yeah, we need to we need to see that you're ready. I'm like, dude, you do realize I have a radio show already, right? And a podcast. And they're like, yeah, but still, we need to you need to slow down. You need to crawl before you walk. And I'm like, dude, so here's my philosophy on that one. Like, I think most people do need to crawl before they walk, right? Mm-hmm. Me personally, man, you know, okay, they tell this is a true story. True story. At least as far as I know, it's true. Because mm-hmm. my dad told me this story, my brother told me this story, my sister told me this story. So apparently the day I took my first step and started walking, I, I, I got up. Apparently I stood up and started running in circles. I, I never, like, walked. I started out running. Mm-hmm. It's like my thing. So for me, I have been on both sides of that. Like, having to tell people, like, you need to slow down and actually learn the fundamentals. Especially, like, in photography, people, like, just picking up your camera or because you got your iPhone and you take that picture and it looks awesome to you. Doesn't mean it's a good picture. You need to understand what makes a picture good. So there's that part. Then on the other hand, I'm that same person who's like, dude, I'm ready to go to the next level right now. And I just started five minutes ago. Well, that's the the thing is not everybody needs the same amount of time crawling. Right? It's just – and sometimes you need to crawl a little longer and sometimes you need to crawl a little shorter depending upon what you're working on. And these things aren't – there's not a single solid answer. Our answers are as unique as all of us are. Right, we're all that's my phone. We're all we're all unique individuals, and we all have different ways of of approaching world. We all learn different things at different speeds, and so yeah, sometimes it takes you. Sometimes you're in the crawling stage longer than others, right? Sometimes it gets through things fast. Sometimes it gets through things slow, and you know it's the jobs of of those of us uh, to help people. It's those of us like you know who are mentors or or who help people kind of who uh, help people 
navigate their lives. It's it's our job to help them know when's when's what. Like sometimes it's do you think about now you might want to consider slowing down. You don't necessarily tell people to slow down. You say you might want to think about this, you know, or maybe hey, like uh, we know I work at a radio station and I help mentor people on the radio show. I've had this these two uh, lovely young young women um, starting a show. They have been so reluctant to get on the air. They've been ready for months. Two months, they've been ready, but they continue to practice and practice and practice. And I've been saying, no, you're ready to go. You're ready to go. And <laughs> they finally got him on the air last week, right? It took two months to get him on the air, but they weren't ready, right? While they were technically ready, they had all the skills. The show was good. They knew what they were doing. They weren't ready yet. And so it, had, it, it took, you know, some encouragement and some confidence and getting them enough practice where they felt comfortable, to get on the air. And then you got other people who are, hey, I'm ready to go on the air now. All right, give me a sample. Okay, you're ready to go on the air. There you go, right? <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't take, hey, I've got to run you through the process, man. doesn't have to be long, but I've got to run you through the process. You and- know, James, I, <laughs> I am so grateful and appreciative of you. Because, um, you know, as you know, you're my radio mentor. You taught me uh, how to work the soundboards. You taught me how to use my radio voice and how to actually do a radio show. And the more I listen as you talk, the more I realize the great number of leadership qualities you have because you recognize that each person is different and you teach people, you meet people where they are and teach them at their level and get them to where they got to be. And that's awesome. Like I know that uh, you have a, a, a good as a parent, mm-hmm. right? I don't believe that it was ever or is ever my responsibility to determine who my children should be. My, I believe my job is to observe them, see who they are on their own, and then lead and then encourage those things that they are naturally. Like my daughter, for example, is the greatest artist I've ever seen. Six years old. She teaches me stuff. Like, I, here I go. I don't know why I feel the need to embarrass myself on the air all the time. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't know what a gradient was. I learned that from my six-year-old. Well, she's seven now. But um, she had painted this thing, and I was like, oh, look, you got the colors to go from this to that. That's awesome. She's like, that's called a gradient. And I was like, oh, that's what that word in Photoshop means. And then, <laughs> you know, like, oh. And, um, but the thing is, like, you know, my parents – really much more to my older brother and sister than me because I rebelled. Like, I, I flat out, you know, I, I, I rebelled at, at off bat. Like, they made my older sister do tap dancing. Mm-hmm. She hated that. And now you show my older sister some tap dancing shoes, and she, <laughs> my older brother, they made him play the trumpet, and he got really good. Like, he was playing with Wynn Marsalis and all that. And then as soon as he got the chance to stop doing it, he stopped doing it. Um, and they, <laughs> they tried to make me play the viola, all right, <laughs> which um, clearly they didn't understand who I was. Because, you know, number one, you got to stand in that L shape. And if I ever hear hot cross buns again, I swear. <laughs> so I um, I remember, I remember, and I can say this now because, because I, you know, I can't get beaten for it. But I remember I was so pissed off after one of these damn classes for the um, viola that I went into the closet. I took the viola in the closet with me and I just yanked all the strings out of the, of the viola itself. And I didn't know that we didn't own it 
and we were renting it. And so my parents, you know, I got I got to ask for that because they had to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I want to throw parents a, a bone, right? Mm-hmm. They try to raise their children for the world they know. And all of us do. We all try to do it. Yeah. Every single parent. Because that's how you do anything else. It's impossible to raise them for a world you don't know yet. And so we're trying to raise children for, from a world we know <laughs> and prepare them for a world that... They don't even, that no one knows exists. That doesn't exist yet. We're trying to repair our children for a world that doesn't exist yet. And so I always say, you know, parents just do the best we can. Every parent in the world has always done the best they can. Some have done better than others and, you know, and some have completely failed. And some have tried really hard, done everything the right way and failed anyway. And there's no script to it. There's no book that you buy that says do this, do that at this exact time and everything is going to turn out okay. And even if the book, if, if they had a book, it'd be wrong. <laughs> because every kid is different. Exactly. Every kid, every family, every circumstance, the time. You know, you write a book, and two years later, right, you, you start to write a book. By the time the book has come out, it, it's it's written for a world that no longer exists. That's See, you, you I, okay, now, we got to talk about you, because you got, you, you, I mean, it's like, it's like a fortune cookie over here. You're like, you, got, <laughs> you got, like, all of the best takes, man. Um. James, how have you come to acquire the knowledge that you have? A lot of work, a lot of self-work. Um, when my daughter was seven, that's kind of the, the goal I used. She's, what, 23 now, so that's 16 years ago. Uh, I couldn't leave the house. I was a shut-in. I, the, going to the grocery store and getting my kids to school four days a week is the best, you know, was best I could do. And a lot of times my kids got to walk to school. You know, the elementary school wasn't all that far. But you know, as they grew older, it was difficult. But, you know, because of the love and support of family and, and friends, you know, as long as I was improving, they would support me. As long as I was continuing to work, they would support me. And next thing we know, I'm running for office. I joined a political party. I started, you know, working on a TV show. And that was the oddest experience. The first time I sat down in front of on a TV studio was the strangest experience of my life. I'm an anxiety-riddled person. And now you've got all <laughs> these lights and camera on you. I'm an anxiety-riddled person. I had shown up to help in the stu- in the control room. I didn't show up to help with the in the studio. I wasn't there to be on TV. Someone canceled and said, and I was vice chair of the part of the, of the county party at the time. Brand new vice chair, didn't even know what I was doing at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so sure, I'll, I'll, you know, all right, it's kind of my job. So okay, I'll do it. You know, I've never been one willing to not take arrows. You know, the anxiety never was prevented me. But I sat down in, in that studio in front of the two cameras, and I was comfortable. Mm. For the first time in my life, I was comfortable. Mm. I did, you know, and that sent me on a journey. That that feeling of comfort sent me on a journey. There's something here. And so, you know, but this knowledge, it's a lifetime of uh, master of, uh, it's a jack of many trades, master of few. It's, <laughs> that's what I call it because I have mastered a couple. So, <laughs> so I'm not master of none. So jack of all trades, master of few. But, you know, you, you take that learning and you just continue to learn. I'm always learning. When I was, I'd spent some time, I was, had eye issues and I was uh, having some trouble going, uh, going blind. I was legally blind for a little while. But I learned to video edit while I was going blind, and I was taking leadership classes. But just, I just never stop. You just never stop learning, and you know you never know where, where it's going to take you. You just follow the whatever my interests follow. Right. So if I'm interested in history this month, then I f- go history. I spent six months studying leadership. Six months studying leadership, just on my own, just studying it. Just become trying to become a better me. 
That's all I've ever done is just try to become a better me. So figuring that if, if I'm the best me I can be, that will help the, the people I care about. And it seems to work. It's, you know, it's, been a, it's been an amazing journey. And now I get to help other people accomplish their goals do that, on that same journey. I, I live a blessed life. I really do. Man, shit. <laughs> I need a I need a I need a James Just bobblehead. <laughs> in my car, man. I tell you right now, you're such an inspiration. You're so inspirational to me. You're such an inspiration to me. Um, because you know what I from the time I've met you, you've been like the most humble person I've ever met. Like you never like, I mean, I knew you for, like, three or four months before you even were like, oh, by the way, you know, I'm, I, I'm affiliated with the Libertarian Party, you know. And most people would lead with that. Like, you meet them, you know, like, like you meet me, mm-hmm. I immediately start spilling my resume as soon as I finish <laughs> saying my name. <laughs> like, I do this and this and this and this and this. Um, and then your, your points of view and your insights are just so. Well, I can tell you why that is, because I'm more interested in other people than me. I know me. I've spent a lot of time discovering me. So I'm not very interested to me in me. I'm so not. I want to go back to what you were saying about, so you're saying that you struggle with anxiety and then you find yourself one day in this TV studio and uh, you get in front of the camera and you're comfortable. Yeah. I didn't even know what comfortable was to be until, until, until that moment. Yeah. And, and so comfortable like you felt like, like, relax like this is this mm-hmm. is this is it was it was a feeling i had literally never felt before literally i was relaxed there was no anxiety now i've had anxiety in the tv studio before right i've had people come in from a long way and, and, and for a big deal and i felt a little bit of anxiety but it wasn't the same it wasn't my anxiety disorder society it was kind of a good anxiety <laughs> right it, so i don't even like to call it anxiety <laughs> because i know what real anxiety is Anxiety is what I had to call it. Um, I'm afraid of, what am I afraid of? What am I really afraid of? And it was nothing. It was nothing and everything at the same time. So I, in order to give it a label, I said a satellite falling on my head. That's what I used to call it. I'm afraid of a satellite falling on my head. And, okay, so now I have something to hold on to, something to, to fight against is the wrong word because I don't, like the, I don't like fighting language. But it was something to work against. Something. Challenge to overcome. Yeah, it, was, it gave me... It just gave me some way to label it, something to call it, because I still have anxiety. It still deals with it every day. It doesn't go away, but I'm stronger in the face of it. That's what happened. I still face anxiety every single day, every moment of every day, but I no longer bothers me. Rather than being a hurricane, you know, force winds and, you know, tsunami smashing against the, the lighthouse, it's a, you know, a ripple from a lake, from a smooth lake. It, I tell you right now, James, you're my lighthouse, man. And I know, and I, I mean that. I'm not even. I'm not even blowing smoke up your ass. I'm telling you right now. Like, I know that one. One of a couple of things I know about you. One, you're straightforward, and I appreciate that in any person. You know what I mean? Like, you always are honest with me. You look me in the eye when you talk. Two, like, you make me kind of sad that I wasn't a flower child. <laughs> you know, because it's like, man, that's the kind of that's the kind of like like where you are like that inner peace like in spite of you know but you're like this is a that's where i've spent my life trying to get to to that place where and i'm pretty close to it now but to that place where 
Yeah, I know what challenges I'm facing, right? And I know who I am. And I know what I can do. And I know what I want to do. And now I move with purpose. Like, that's the that's been the biggest change in my life from before. I, you know, you were saying that, like, sometimes some people have to crawl longer. I felt like I crawled from the time I was born until last year when I really figured out what I wanted to do. I had been crawling, and I learned a lot of stuff along the way. But now, it's like you said, when I wake up, it's not just, oh, I've got this to do, I've got that to do, but there's a bigger purpose behind it. I'm trying to change the world around me. And James, you and I are going to do that together. Now, you've got your own podcast, right? Yeah, I've got a, I've got a few. I've got a couple. i got a number of projects I work on. Let's, let's, let's give them some plugs. All right, well, I've got the, the TV show on, on Access Sacramento, Libertarian Counterpoint. I produce and direct uh, Knuckleheads of Liberty. It's a podcast and a TV show. And then I host a, the one I'm most personally proud of is Late Night Love. It's a podcast I do with my, my better half. We talk love, life, relationships, and that kind of thing. Answer. And where can people hear that podcast? Easiest places go to Facebook, but it's on Facebook, YouTube, that kind of thing. We go live on Friday nights. And it's called the? Late Night Love. Late Night Love uh, with James Just. Thank you for uh, doing the show with me today, James. And uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar, because I didn't give James a proper introduction, James is a very close friend of mine. Uh, he's been a mentor to me. He was there from the day I started my career in radio, um, and he is still here. And now he's now from, we went from Access to my studio, and James is still here. Um, hey, you didn't tell him about the story when we met. At the at the at the at the theater at the PCS theater, I was just standing there. <laughs> <laughs> My job was to stand around. That was <laughs> look like your security. Okay, <laughs> and Mister Nervous Verbal come up and starts talking to me. Yeah, <laughs> Verbal just started. Blah, 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 blah. Yes. But hey, just think of what happens if you hadn't. Just think about that, you know? You know, it's so funny. I didn't even want to go because I thought that it would be really weird, like, seeing myself on the big screen. And then, That is like, really weird. If anybody in the audience had any reaction, I would have taken it super personally. And I'm like, it's better not to even expose myself to the potential hurt. I didn't have a tux to wear. And then, like, I, I couldn't find anybody, any nobody I knew was available to go. None of my, nobody was, my brother, my older brother was the only one who was available. And I was like, man, I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't go. Like, they're not even going to notice if I don't go anyway. And what I have discovered is that everything that I've done in spite of that feeling has been one of the best decisions I ever made. But hey, it was. I think it was a great decision. I think so too. Led us to this very <laughs> moment right here. Thank you for tuning in to Verbal Radio. Uh, we have been here with James, just my friend and mentor. If you'd like to get more information about James, click on his picture on the Spotify link, or go on our website houseverbal.com uh, and click on James's picture, and it will take you to the KUBU website as well. I will be posting links to his YouTube and Facebook channels where you can listen to slash watch his programming and podcast. James, thank you so much for coming in. Um, this one is not going to air on the radio. We're going to keep this one strictly for our Spotify audience because I have dropped a lot of dirty words in this conversation. Yeah, my boss might appreciate that one too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like that a little bit. <laughs> Verbal Radio on Spotify.